No, no. This is the 107th class in Shara B'Tochen. <laughs> this has been going on for a couple of years now. All right, I pressed the wrong button. And now we are live for real. Okay. Fantastic. All right, let's start over. Yashikoyach, thank you all for joining. Tonight's class is entitled Beyond My Control. And the essence of what we will be talking about tonight is where trust in God ends and where our responsibility begins. Because, believe it or not, trusting in God and doing what God wants can be a contradiction. This is what's called performance versus trust. As a, a way to introduce what we're going to study tonight. There is a story, and I never saw the source, but there's a story told that the Maggid of Mizrich was once asked by a fellow who liked to ask questions. He said, is it true that your Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tev, he taught that everything can be a lesson, that everything can be uh, a source of inspiration, like learning how to be a, a better Jew? And the Maggid responded affirmatively, yes, that's true. And the Baal Shem Tev believed, if Hashem showed you something, it's to teach you a lesson. So the man said, so what would you learn from an atheist? A person who denies God's existence. So the Magid responded and he said, if there's a poor person that's hungry, the atheist does not pray and doesn't bless him. He makes sure to take care of it himself. And that's a lesson we should learn. When you're supposed to act, if instead of acting you say, oh yeah, Hashem should bless you. Or I'm going to pray for you person says, don't pray for me. I'm just hungry. I'd like a slice of pizza. <laughs> What's pizza? Pizza is nothing. This is a little material. I'm going to pray. Prayer is eternal. I'm giving you something much more valuable than food. But the person is never hungry. So we all understand that giving words like prayer or giving words of trust or hope when somebody needs food is not appropriate. So it is. There are times when we are faced with circumstances, situations, where it's not appropriate to put it in God's hands. Well, we have to say, this is my problem. This is my responsibility. I need to deal with this. And then, there are areas that are beyond our control. And what we're going to talk about in this episode, in this class, is the fact that mitzvot are a very interesting marriage of both. On one hand, the mitzvah is our responsibility. On the other hand, there's an element of the mitzvah that is beyond my control. And this is where betochen moves from inappropriate to fully appropriate. And we're going to try to find exactly where that line is so that we don't misplace or misuse this very precious and important and special dimension of our Yiddishkeit. Okay. So you can stop on the, the photocopies I made of your page. You can start right on the top over there. Rabbeinu Bachaya says, he invokes the verse, Ubacharta Bachayim. He says in Deuteronomy 30, in the 29th verse, we have a statement which is made by God in His Torah to us. God says to us, choose life. What does that mean when He says, choose life? So if you're following along in the Kihat version of the Shara Betochen, so life here refers to Torah observance. That's what we're talking about here. And in this verse, God is telling us to choose life. In other words, God is telling us, you need 
to do what you are able to in order to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in order to serve Almighty God properly. And to, so to speak, put that on to God and say, oh, I'm sure God will take care of this, is not appropriate. And in fact, it is not the right thing to do. Essentially, in that portion of the Torah, as well as earlier in Parshas Vashchan, in, in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, the Torah presents us with two divergent paths. A path which is called Chaim and Tov, which means life and good, and a path which is called Movet and Ra, death and bad. And the first is a reference to a life of service, a life of love, loyalty, dedication, devotion, and commitment to God. And the second is a life of rebelliousness, a life of defiance of God. And the Torah tells us these are the two paths. One is a path of life, and one is a path of death. One is good, one is bad. You choose life. God doesn't say, I'm going to choose life for you. God says, I put the paths before you. In the vernacular, it's a free country. You can do as you please. I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, you choose life. Now, because a person is expected to make a choice, and because in order for that choice to be meaningful, it has to be what we call a non-coerced or a free choice, whether to observe the Torah, to live a life of Yiddishkeit or chas v'shalom not. So it makes no sense whatsoever for a person to say, oh, you know what, God, I'm relying on you. I rely on you. God, if you want me to make Kiddush tonight, you'll send a bottle of wine. If you want me to make Kiddush, God, you'll fill the cup. I know you will. Because you want me to make Kiddush. <laughs> you want me to go to Shul, God? So like, uh, you know, Dorothy in Kansas, bring me a wind, blow me into Shul, and then I'll, then I'll daven. Well, then I'll know that you really want me to daven if you blow me into a Shul. But otherwise, you can't expect me to go and do anything about it. I put my trust in you. Wherever you take me, that's where I'm going to go. So that's, that's ridiculous. That's, that makes no sense. Why doesn't it make any sense? It doesn't make any sense because God said the opposite. If you want to do what God wants, do what God said. What did God say? He said, Ubacharta. Ubacharta means you have to choose. So if you have to choose, that's indicative of a need for you to act. The Neder Bakoidish, which is a commentary, a super commentary on the on Chavis the, the Neder Bakoidish says like this He says, You have to understand that. Bacharta Bachayim, in the words of the Chovat Halavavot, in the words of the Shar Betochen, Vlohiniach Birshutenu, he didn't leave in our, the, the, so to speak, jurisdiction, he didn't leave in our hands, Hashlomas Hamaisa, he didn't leave in our hands the completion, Ba'avoda o Ba'avera, with service or transgression. He didn't leave the completion in our hands. That's true. He didn't leave the completion. The completion is beyond my control. That's besibo chaim chutzlanu. Those are causes that are beyond me. And the truth is that sometimes these causes sometimes the circumstances present themselves and sometimes they don't. A couple of years ago, I wanted very much to daven with a minion and show. I wasn't able. Why? Because I was living in a world in a time where all the synagogues were shut down. And it was actually a violation of Canadian law 
to come to shul. What are you going to do? You couldn't get a minion. So does, does that mean that the people who didn't daven in shul during that period of time are guilty for not coming to shul and davening? No, we didn't have the opportunity. And now we do have the opportunity. Should we take it for granted? We used to take a lot of things for granted. The truth is we shouldn't take anything for granted. And it is true that a person could make every possible effort and could fail. Let me tell you about a terrible story that happened in the 1980s. It was discovered that an enormous seg- segment of the tefillin market had non-kosher tefillin. There was grown people who discovered that they had never in their life put on a pair of tefillin because the tefillin weren't kosher. And this came before Av Moshe. Feinstein, it was, a, it was a big deal. Like I remember this vaguely in my childhood. There was people that were weeping People in their 20s and their 30s, they realize they never in their life did this mitzvah. That's a terrible thing. Is it, is it their fault? No. Obviously not. Some of these people spent a lot of money on that film. And they made a huge effort to do what they wanted to do. And unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. Would you call them a sinner? How could you? Is it possible that sometimes a person makes huge efforts to do a mitzvah and it doesn't work out? Yes, it's possible. Is it possible that sometimes a person wants to do a very bad sin and actually misses the mark? It's possible. What does God hold you responsible for? This is the question. And the answer, in a word, is He doesn't hold you responsible for the things that are, quote, beyond my control. However, I am responsible for the things that are in my control. And a lot of times, people like to wash their hands of responsibility and claim that things that are in their control are not in their control. And that's where we go wrong. And this is where a person can actually abuse something wonderful, holy, and good like betochen. Relying on God is a wonderful trait. It's a fantastic way for a person to be able to live when it is used appropriately. So the Toiv Halavonen says, pardon me, the Ne'er Debakadosh. He says like this, Lo hiniach b'reshutatenu means milvad lahashlim ha'maise. The only thing that's not in my control is the completion. That's not in my control because there are forces at work there are causes at play that I can't control. So it's not in my, my, in my jurisdiction. So with the exception of what's beyond my control, what is in my control, I'm responsible for. Now here's something very, very interesting. When we talk about this, this concept of a person being, if you will, responsible, vis-a-vis a person having to deal with situations that are beyond their control. So the Toiv HaLavonin says like this. He says, let's talk about a mitzvah that everybody here in this room has performed many times. And it's possible that you will identify with the character who is being introduced to you. Derech Marshal, a parable. Let's talk about tzedakah. So in order to give tzedakah, what does a person need to have? You need to have something to give. Good intentions don't cut it come to a person and say, I would love to give you money. He said, that's very nice. 
The guy says, I'm hungry. He says, well, you know, I would love to give you. <laughs> I would love to feed you. Does that make you feel any better? The guy says, actually, I'm very hungry right now. All I'm feeling is hunger. Your good feelings are nice, but they're not feeding me. As they say, until Mashiach comes, you can't get anywhere if there isn't gas in the tank. So you need to have what to give. So what does Hashem have to help you? Suppose you're able to give. What is the greatest gift that Hashem could give you? The opportunity to give. The opportunity to give to an appropriate cause. So a person could be asked by somebody for, for assistance. And the person is a liar, a cheater, a thief. The whole thing is not true. You're giving tzedakah to a person who doesn't need tzedakah. To a person who should be giving tzedakah. But he likes to ask. Did you do something wrong? No. But did you actually do the mitzvah of tzedakah? Meaning, if the mitzvah of tzedakah is that a person who is needy was helped, did you actually help somebody who was needy? You didn't really. The person is not needy. You, you didn't really do it. So these sibo, these causes are not in our bechira. That's not our choice. How was I supposed to know? This guy talked a fast game. He presented a, a wonderful facade. I didn't know he has a mattress full of money. I, I, I had no idea. Well, you gave somebody money and they bought the narcotics with it. Not only didn't help himself, he harmed himself. So you helped him harm himself. It's like giving a, a person who you gave him, you have a knife to play with. So when it comes to this situation, says the Tevel of Arnon, that's where you have to have betachin and trust in Hashem that I'm doing my best and that the Rabbeinu Shalolim will enable my efforts to go in an appropriate way. And here I want to introduce a, a very, almost like an interesting kind of nuance. So far, it's pretty black and white. It's things that are in my control and things that are not in my control. A person goes to the store. He wants to buy himself tuna fish. He looks on the tuna. It's got a nice hechsher. It says it's 100% kosher. Bishul Yisrael, from A to Z. He's very happy. Goes home. He has himself a fine lunch. And he never finds out, or maybe doesn't find out, that what he thought was tuna was actually dolphin. It really happens, such a thing. Dolphin is not kosher. Very nice fish, but they're not kosher. You can have a pet dolphin, but you can't eat it. So the person says, I didn't want to eat dolphin. I wanted to eat tuna. What else was I supposed to do? I went to the supermarket. I asked for the kosher tuna. I bought the kosher tuna. I had no idea it wasn't kosher. Let me ask you a silly question. Did the person eat food that's not kosher? Yes or no? It's not kosher. It's a fact that it's not kosher. And by the way, from a Torah perspective, not kosher food deadens the nerve endings of our neshama. It, it makes us less receptive to holiness. Will this person suffer, possibly, a lack of sensitivity for holiness or for Yiddishkeit or for, for activities like davening and learning Torah? Will this person suffer a loss of sensitivity? Very possibly. In fact, most likely. Did the person violate the Torah? No. No. So what would you call the, the, this person? In, in Yiddish, there's a word that's called a shlomazel. What is a shlomazel? What's the difference between a shlomil and a shlomazel? 
a shlemiel spills the soup on somebody's lap. The shlemazel is the guy who got the soup spilled on his lap. Let me tell you a little something about Yiddish. Many, many Yiddish words are not German, and they're not Bavarian, and they're, and they're not Polish. They're straight Hebrew with a twist. So shlemazel, don't look for it in the German dictionary. You won't find it there. <laughs> shlemazel is a conjunction of two Hebrew words. Shalomazal. He's an unlucky fellow. He doesn't have good luck. He's a shlamazel. So we like it. We like make fun of a person. Ah, it's a shlamazel. But the truth is, it's not a shlamazel's fault. It's a shlamazel. I don't know. I don't know what happened. How was I supposed to know? How was I? Sp- I, I had no clue. I went. I did everything I was supposed to do. I double checked. I did. There was no negligence whatsoever. How was I supposed to know? What are you going to do? So here, the Teva Levanan says something very, very interesting. He says, the truth is, the truth is, it's not exactly as black and white as we're making it. Because there's a gray area where sometimes we are able to influence the eventual outcome. And it's important to uh, kind of delineate this if we're going to understand uh, uh, tonight's subject. So in, in order to, uh, uh, let's say, appreciate what this means, let me introduce you to a very interesting verse which is found in a book called Mishlei. You heard of Mishlei? Proverbs. Shlomo HaMelech uses many, many parables in the book of Mishlei. In the book of Mishlei, in the third chapter, Shlomo HaMelech says like this, he says, Im If it is to scoffers, that's where you're going, to those who mock and laugh at other people, who yolitz? So then, if that's where your attention is, is directed, if that's who you're drawn after, you'll be a scoffer too. And then the word is written la'aniyim, but we read it la'anovim, which means really to humble ones. And if... Then Hashem will give grace. What does this mean? So there's a, a rather harsh medrash, which is found in the medrash in Bamidbar. And it says like this, what is a scoffer? What does it mean, a leitz? In modern Hebrew, a leitz means a clown. There's like a nursery rhyme, leitzan katan shali, my little clown in Hebrew. A leitz means a, a person who's empty, humorous, but sometimes in a vacuous way. And oftentimes using other people to make a, to make a joke. But the joke's on everybody. Everybody thinks it's funny except the person who the joke is on. You know, like, like a lot of comedians do that. So the, the, the Medrash says something quite harsh. The Medrash says that the origin of the word lates is not a comedian and it's not a person who takes advantage of others. But rather, it's a person who is light-hearted about things that one should be respectful of. And basically the Bedrash identifies a person who is a very immodest individual, what you call a philanderer. He makes himself very comfortable with other people's wives. Something that, that kind of thing. So this is the lates. So he says, if that's what you're looking for, who yolets? Then in the end, that's where you end up. Ula novim. 
But you know, the, ro- the rules of, of, uh, of, of Sota are followed by the ru- rules of Nazir. The Sota is about that kind of behavior. And the Nazir is about a person who vows to have an additional set of laws that are filled with abstinence and the opposite of preening oneself, allowing one's hair to be unkempt and not to partake of wine. So he says the Anovim here are talking about Nazirim. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that if a person follows those who are humble, so then they are given a certain grace from God, like it says in Berchat Kohenim V'yichuneka. This is what the Medrash Rabbah says using this Pasuk. Let's, let's take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, however you want to talk about Leitzim, it's not a good thing. It's not like a, you don't say, oh, Mazel Tov, your son's bar mitzvah, may he grow up to be a big Letz. May he grow up to join the Leitzim. Nobody says that. That's not, a, that's not a blessing. So he says, Odom nimshachacharem. If a person follows this kind of bohemian lifestyle, l'soif afhu yielotz. He'll become like that too. If that's who you follow, if that's who you involve yourself, you'll, you'll be drawn in the same direction. If you surround yourself with humble, discreet people, respectful people, so then you will eventually change and what happens is that you will, too, will behave in such a fashion. And people will treat you that way, too. The upshot of this, in, in the words of the Mitzudah's David, is that everything has a consequence. He says, Everything engenders a response and a consequence. The way you behave in life is the way you are going to be treated. The way you treat others, the way they treat you. The way you behave is the way others behave towards you. And the way a person behaves to Hashem is how Hashem will behave towards him. So, so this is the meaning of the Pasuk. That's the meaning of the Pasuk. And the Gemara has something very interesting to say about this. The Gemara says that the deeper meaning, this is a Gemara Mesecha Shabbos, on page 104, side A. The Gemara is in the middle of discussing the Aleph base, various references and allusions and hints that are contained in the order of the olive base. But the Gemara deviates a little bit. And the Gemara says like this, the deeper meaning of is a person who comes to defile, the opposite of purity, the opposite of holiness. He wants to live a wicked life. God opens doors for you. If that's where you want to go, the doors will be opened. And a person who seeks habolet taher, a person who seeks to purify, starting with himself. So not only are doors opened, but furthermore, that person is aided or abetted from on high. There's another expression of our sages, a person who is meritorious in nature, but not by nature, but rather by nurture, he has become meritorious, that a person who is meritorious becomes like a magnet for meritorious things. Hashem uses a meritorious person for meritorious things to come about. And the upshot is that a person might be sometimes a little bit responsible. Things didn't work out. But I didn't choose to do a bad thing. I didn't want to eat the food that wasn't kosher. I, didn't, I, I, I was trying to do something good. It didn't work out for me. There is an element of, of us 
trying hard and as such receiving a blessing from on high. So to some degree we can influence it. But whilst we can influence the process, we can influence the process, we, could, we can allow Hashem, allow circumstances to, so to speak, take us in the wrong direction. Hashem doesn't push us, but push us, but he opens the door. Or a person who does good things can bring good things to him, but the circumstances themselves are beyond my control. So when it comes to things beyond my control, should I worry all day? Should I be filled with anxiety? Because how do I know? The answer is, this I rely on Hashem. I did my part. I trust in God. I have no worries. I have no anxieties. What should I worry for? Hashem is worrying for me. And this is much of what we've talked about over the last dozens of episodes. How to nurture and develop betachen. And betachen means, as Rabbeinu Bachaya clearly delineated it, it means to have a life of absolute tranquility. To be living with perfect certainty. No worries, no anxieties. Why? I rely on that Kaddish Baruch So when it comes to things beyond my control, then I should rely on that Kaddish Baruch But when it comes to things that are in my control, then I have every responsibility and obligation to exert that possibility, that ability, that wherewithal, and make the right choice. Yes, Mark. How does betachen play out when you make a mistake? Very often when we do the wrong thing, we have to now try to fix what we did and do the right thing. I, I think that there's a faith aspect here. The faith aspect is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Almighty God, never ever puts us in an impossible situation. So in every set of circumstances, God gives us the ability to do the right thing. That's the meaning of the Pasuk. Hashem says, I put you in this situation. You have the right choice and the wrong choice. Because a person made the wrong choice at some point in his or her journey doesn't mean they can't make the right choice now. And it might be a different kind of choice. And sometimes as they say, you made the bed, you have to sleep in it. That's true. But there's still a right and a wrong choice. And two wrongs never make a right. So at a certain point, a person could say, I want to fix my life up. And yes, Torah says that tshuva works. So... So this is, the, this is the, 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 the essential issue that Rabbeinu Bachai is kind of framing over here. He says, here's what betachen does work, here's what betachen doesn't work. There is an element of things beyond my control that I may be able to influence, but I don't influence them by saying, ah, I leave it in God's hands. <laughs> if I can do the research and I chose not to do the research, that's not called leaving it in God's hands. So somebody picks up a product from the store. And it doesn't have a kosher sign on it. He said, you call the local kosher agency. Here we're in Toronto. Call the COR. He says, ah, you know what? I leave it in Hashem's hands. If he put it in my hands, if he made me buy it, it's probably okay. That's not called betachen. That's called wrong. That's not the right thing to do. What's the right thing to do if you don't know? Well, let me put it to you this way. If you're allergic to peanuts, 
and you weren't sure if a product had any peanut, any peanut traces. Now, if you eat peanuts, you might go into a coma. You might even die. But hey, you know what? It's probably okay. Or would you do your research and be absolutely certain before you ate the food? It goes without saying, we'd be very careful. We wouldn't say, eh, it's probably okay. So when a person says, when it comes to kashas, eh, it's probably okay. That's what we call a lack of yirat shamayim. You're not taking the Yiddishkeit seriously. To take Yiddishkeit seriously means to take spiritual welfare at least as seriously as we take material welfare. When it comes to material welfare, we don't leave it to chance. When it comes to our spiritual welfare, we don't leave it to chance either. So should a person be worried every time he opens a bottle of Tylenol because 30 years ago somebody got poisoned with cyanide? Should he feed at least two Tylenols to his dog first and see what happens? <laughs> that's, that's, no, that's, that's uh, what we would call an unreasonable way to live. And Hashem doesn't ask us to live unreasonably. So reasonable precautions are reasonable. And then, and then you rely on Hashem Yisbarach. Well, what if I'm the one in a billion per people? Once again, we go back to reasonable. And a person, Hashem ordained a person to live a reasonable life. And that's when I could say, I rely on Hashem Yisbarach. I did my part. I took reasonable precautions. I cannot live with endless fear and anxiety. And this has many applications, by the way, in today's day and age about health and, and safety and, like, uh, and how people are choosing to live. Okay. So this is really like tying up the loose ends of where we were previously. And now we're going to move forward in the words of the Shar Habitachim. Ve'im yiftach. What happens if my trust is placed inappropriately? Says Rabbeinu Ve'im yiftach al And if a person says, I am going to place my trust in God, surely he'll enable me to choose right. Surely he'll put me in a good situation. Why would God give me a bad situation? Sure, I just leave it to God. I'm not going to get too uptight here. Leave it to God. V'yoymar. And a person will say, Lo evchar. I should make choices. Let God make choices. I'm not making choices. Le'achavan. I have to focus. <laughs> God focuses. It's uh, probably okay. It's good. I have to worry. So to do. Klum. Me'avodatabora. I have to make an effort. I have to be the one to decide. Why? Let let God choose what's good for me. Why would I choose? This is a person who's utilizing betachen inappropriately. Now, I want to emphasize, there's a word that keeps showing up here. And I've, I've said this many, many times. The Shara Betochen was written by Rabbeinu Bechaye Ibn Yasef Pekuda a thousand years ago. And he wrote it in Arabic. And I don't speak Arabic. And I think people who speak Arabic today wouldn't read his Arabic anywhere from a thousand years ago. It was translated by a phenomenal sage whose name was Rabbi Yehuda Ibn Tibbin. He was a very serious, scholarly, and profound Jew. He didn't mess around. He was also a Rishon. He wasn't Rabbeinu Bachaya, but he was a great man. So I gotta take, I gotta take the text seriously. And I have, to, I have to, if he uses a word, I have to assume that the word is being used pointedly. The word that's being used here again is avoda and avera. You know what avoda means? Work, service. Avoda shares a common root with the word term eved, which literally translates as slave, would be better translated as servant. 
It has nothing to do with beatings or mistreatment. It has everything to do with a dedication and a devotion that is sincere and serious and committed. And uh, as they say, the expression, oil, like an ox to a, to a yoke. And that's why it's called, when we say about accepting the will of Hashem, Kabbalat ol malchot shamayim. And if somebody will say to you, but it's not easy to be a pious individual. It's not easy to be a holy Jew. It's not easy to live a righteous life. They're not wrong. It isn't easy. It's challenging. A lot of things are challenging. Making your marriage work is challenging. Having a good relationship with your children is challenging. Making a good meal in the kitchen is challenging. A lot of things are challenging. It's easier to use a microwave. But people like to use uh, cook for real. The better, the better things are, usually the harder they are to come by. Living a good life is not an easy thing. It's a rewarding and fulfilling thing. And that's why we call it avodat Hashem. But interestingly here, Rabbeinu Bechaya uses two words, and he keeps using these two words. He uses the word avoda and avera. Avoda means toil, effort, service, and avera means transgression. Typically, the word avera, the antonym of avera is mitzvah. Mitzvah is fulfilling Hashem's instructions. Avera means violating Hashem's instructions. The truth is that there are 613 proverbial mitzvot, commandments in the Torah. 248 are positive mitzvot, or things that we are supposed to do. 365 are negative mitzvot, lotase, things we are not supposed to do. And a person can do an Avera by choosing not to do the right thing. That's also an Avera. It's not a sin of omission, a sin of commission, pardon me. It's a sin of omission. A person sitting at a Seder table, everybody's eating matzah, he says, I want to eat matzah. So, but it's a Pesach tonight. That's it. Who needs a matzah? It's ridiculous. You're going to eat bread? No, I'm not eating bread. I would never eat chametz. I'm not, I'm not eating matzah. I'm just sitting here. I'm watching all of you. I think you're crazy. This is a waste of my time. Did the person do an Avera? Did he transgress the will of God? <laughs> Absolutely. Why? Because he was supposed to do a mitzvah and he didn't do the mitzvah. And he wasn't sitting incarcerated on some distant island with Gilligan. He was sitting right here at a Seder table. The matzah was right here. Why didn't you eat the matzah? I couldn't be bothered. Sure, it's an Avera. It's not a sin of commission like eating a slice of pizza at the Seder table. But it's a sin of omission where I didn't do it. I was supposed to do Negative mitzvahs are things we're not supposed to do. So if somebody doesn't do a negative mitzvah, is that a mitzvah? So it's not so simple. It's not so simple. Right now, right now, Jake, I did not eat a cheeseburger tonight. How do you know? How do you know I didn't eat a cheeseburger in the last 20 minutes? Because you're looking at me. I didn't eat anything for the last 20 minutes. Now, the truth is, am I going to get rewarded by Hashem for not eating a cheeseburger tonight? No. I never ate a cheeseburger in my life. I wouldn't able to, I, I, I couldn't even look at it. But when a person wants a cheeseburger and he's starving hungry and his plane is delayed and there's four blizzards and there's nothing else to eat and the rotisserie is going and everybody around him is wolfing down cheeseburgers and that's all there is for him to eat and he stays put and doesn't eat it, he did a very big mitzvah. That's what our sages call Yoshav Vuleovaravera. He sat. It's like an effort to stay put. He, could, he restrained himself and he didn't transgress. He receives reward from Hashem, Kilo Asa Mitzvah, as if he did a mitzvah. 
So the negative mitzvahs that we're going to get rewarded for are the negative mitzvahs that we have a desire for. And that's, by the way, if somebody has a desire for things which the Torah prohibits, he says, look, Hashem hates me. He gives me a desire for things that, uh, that the Torah prohibits. Why would he give me a desire for it? What's the answer? The answer is Hashem loves you in a very special way. He wants you to have an opportunity to do this mitzvah in a meaningful way. The other people are not challenged. They don't like cheeseburgers. You who likes cheeseburgers. Why did God make me love cheeseburgers if it's bad? <laughs> why did he have to? Why was I born craving cheeseburgers? Says the poor cheeseburger eater. They say, well, Hashem loves you so much. He wants you to have an opportunity to serve him by not eating that. I'm just using that as a, a euphemism. I don't know if anybody's born craving cheeseburgers. I'm just saying. All right, so we have mitzvahs, positive mitzvahs. We have negative mitzvahs. Avera is a negative, a transgression. A mitzvah is a positive. Why does Rabbeinu Bechaya keep saying avodah and not mitzvah? So in the previous episode, we talked about this. And we identified this concept, which is called serving Hashem is not only a checklist. Serving Hashem means did you do the best you could do? And if a person served Hashem better than his neighbor, but not as well as he or she could, that's a problem. If a person is capable of studying Torah on a very high and profound level, but instead he reads little stories, it's also a Torah. He's not really challenging himself. He's not really working hard. He's just doing a little something. Is that person fulfilling the mitzvah of Talmud Torah fully? The answer is no. Why? He didn't waste his time. He was studying Torah the whole time. On a quantitative level, he was filling his time. On a qualitative level, he was not. So, for example, the mushal, the metaphor that's brought in Hayom Yom, if you have a person who is capable of flying a, a fighter plane, because we're fighting this evil enemy, and this guy can fly a fighter plane. And he says, you know what? I understand that there's uh, missing potato peelers in the kitchen. And every army's got to eat. I, my patriotic service is going to be to peel potatoes. And they say, but you've got six years of training and you're like the master pilot and nobody can fly a, a plane the way you can. He says, that's true, but I would like to do potatoes today. That's my contribution. Take it for what it's worth. What would you call that person? And it would call him, I, I, would, I would say he's worse. That's treasonous. What about the person who can barely peel potatoes? That's what he could do. He's working so hard to peel potatoes. If you put him in a plane, he'd kill himself. And that person's doing the best he could do. If a person is capable of polishing gems and, and cutting diamonds, and instead he's choosing to bake bread, not that baking bread is a bad thing. Baking bread is a, is a very important thing, and eating bread is wonderful. But if a person is capable of serving the king by polishing diamonds or cutting them, and instead he chooses to bake bread, it's self-understood that that's called insufficient. Rabbeinu Bechaya is emphasizing not only the technicalities, you know, his orthodox checklist. Did I do this? Check, check, check. Oh, look at me. I'm a big tzaddik. I did everything. I did all the mitzvahs I was supposed to do today. So yeah, but like... The wherewithal that God invested within you, the ability that Hashem gave you, are you serving Hashem as you could serve Hashem? So the person's honest is, of course not. No, I'm not serving Hashem as I could. But I'm serving Hashem better than everybody else around me. And of course, that's not good enough. 
<laughs> this is like a ridiculous uh, joke they tell. Of, uh, two guys who are in the safari, and all of a sudden they hear there's a lion that's broken loose. And they see this lion is coming at them. And they start to run for their lives. And one turns to the other as the lion's getting closer and closer. And he says, do you think we could ever outrun a lion? And the friend says, I just got to outrun you. <laughs> it's a terrible story, right? <laughs> but it's true. And the message, of course, is don't think you're in a race with somebody else in your Yiddishkeit. The only one you're in a race with is yourself. The only one that we're going to be put next to someday when I stand before Hashem is the person we could have been, not anybody else. So therefore, we're talking here about avoda. We're not just talking the Bacharta Bachayim, when Hashem says choose life, He's not just talking about the technicalities of doing the checklist, of doing your mitzvahs. The Rebbeinu Shalom is talking to us about your Avodah, your Avodah. And the person comes along and he says, you know what? When it comes to Avodah, eh, I'll leave it to Hashem. If He really wants me, if, if, if it's so important to God that I should do A, B, or C, well, then... Uh, you know, let God make it happen. As they say, let God inspire me. Send me some malachim. Show me some miracles. Dazzle me a little. And then, and then we'll talk. Then maybe I'll get inspired if Hashem inspires me. That's, that's not reasonable. Why not? Because that's not what Hashem said in His Torah. This is not your game. This is God's game. You have to play by His rules. And God's rules are that He has expectations of us. And we have ability to fulfill those expectations. And it's self-understood that Hashem cannot ever make an expectation that we cannot live up to. And if there is an expectation that we cannot fulfill, a mitzvah we can't do, then what is it the proof? That it's a mitzvah we're exempt from. If a person doesn't have hands, how is he going to put on tefillin? Clearly, Hashem didn't intend for him to put on film. But if he has hands, he's supposed to be using them. So Rabbeinu Bechaya says, emphasis here on avoido, and he says three things here. Lo evchar, I'm not making a choice. Lo achaven, I'm not going to focus. Lasso to do. In the previous episode, I, I introduced you to a concept which I think comes from the Alter Rebbe, comes from the book of Tanya. I never saw it. I didn't find an earlier source than the Tanya. And this is, we talked about this at great length in the previous episode. It's called Machshava, Dibur, and Maiser. Hashem expects all of us to function as the best possible way on three realms. It's a three-ring circus. Our thought, not thoughts that come into our mind, but ruminating on things, thinking about things, Things that we choose to do. Because things we don't choose to do, we're not held responsible for. But you choose to think or not to think about something negative. So how we use our minds, our consciousness. Dibur is how we are focused on others. Literally means speaking, but on a deeper level, communicating. And communicating means to get invested in something, to be aware of your surroundings, not just lost in your thoughts. And then there's lasa, is to carry it out. Rabbeinu Bechaya, it seems to me, is emphasizing all three. He says, Hashem says, if you say, I can't be bothered to think about this. God will put the thoughts in my head if He puts the thoughts in my head. If I can't sleep at night because I'm worried about doing a mitzvah, if that happens, 
I'm going to start doing the mitzvahs. Because, you know, God put the machshavas in my head. It's in your ball, your court, God. I trust you. I'll have betachar in you. You give me the machshavas, and after you give me the thoughts, then I'll start actually thinking about being mechavet. Or a person will say, I had a thought. I, made, I decided to think about something, but I can't come to a conclusion. I can't come to a decision. I'm an indecisive person. I, 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 I can't. I just can't. God, make the decision for me. Finish it off. Just, just, just block out all the other options. I should have no other options this way, and then I'm going to go in that direction. And I have betachem, you're going to do that, God. Or a person says, Lassus, God will force my hand. He'll make me act. So if a person says that, and he says here, milas lasses klum. What does klum mean? Klum means nothing. A person says, I'm not doing anything. Doing, and that's a problem. Because we are responsible to think, to communicate, and to do. Are we responsible to complete the action? No. Because completing an action is actually beyond my control. What is in my control is to initiate the action. I can try to do the right thing. I tried. I tried my best. Hashem decreed it otherwise. That's beyond my control. That's where I have betachen. A person could set out to do a mitzvah and he said, are you worried about succeeding? The person says, no. Why aren't you worried? He says, because I have perfect trust in Hashem that I will do my part and as long as I make the right choices and invest the right efforts, that the Bani Shalom will bring it to fruition. Yes, Mark? excellent question it's an excellent mark is asking a really good question he wants to know can a person ask hashem to help him to make a right choice so we're going to come to this later on the Rebbe actually talked about this it's a it's a very very good question and it's a it's a it's a it's, it's an important it's an important issue but we'll get to that so he says ad sheyiv charli hatoiv until a person chooses for me Yivchar li, who is li, says the nether Barkadesh, Haboyre, let him choose it for me. Many years ago, I knew a fellow, and I was trying to get him to start to keep Shabbat. And he, could, was, he had a very big test. It was very hard for him not to keep Shabbat. So, um, and he didn't keep Shabbat. I started, he came to tell me what he did. I said, I'm not a Catholic priest. What are you telling me stories for? Like, uh, he says, you don't understand. He says, you don't understand. Thank you, that's very kind. He says, you don't understand. I went to work, and, 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 I, and I, made, I made money. If God doesn't want me to work on Shabbos, he says, why would he make me profitable on Shabbos? Clearly, God doesn't care if I go to work on Shabbos. I said, vey, my friend Morris, you have it all wrong. It does, it's not like that. He says, well, why would he make me profitable? Last Saturday, I went to work. I wasn't profitable. This Saturday, I went to work. I said, listen, God, you don't want me to work? Show me how I'm not going to make any money. And then I'm not going to go to work anymore. I said, do you ever hear something called nisayon, a test? That person gets a test. Hashem tested you. Hashem in his Torah said that you should observe the Shabbat. Hashem did not say that he is going to give you signs or is going to necessarily restrain you from having success. It doesn't work that way. And when the person sounds very pious and say, you know what? I put it in God's hands. I have trust in Hashem. If it was the wrong thing, he'd make sure I knew it was the wrong thing. Says Rabbeinu Bechaya, that's wrong. That's the wrong perspective. And if a person does this, here he uses very interesting verbiage. Kvarto'o midera chayeshara. 
If a person even says or thinks that, he has already, and the word he uses here is ta'a. Very interesting word. So in the, in the Kiat edition, and in the art scroll, they say the word ta'a means strayed. He says he has strayed from the straight path. And then he says, which uh, in the Kiat edition he translates that as slipped, and I'm going to go now into looking at these words carefully because so, I think we have to look at the words carefully. What's the difference between strayed and between slipped? He's strayed and slipped. What does this mean? So firstly, where does this word ta'a, ta'a is not the word ta'ut, because ta'ut, mistake, is spelled with a tet. This, if you're looking inside, is spelled with a tough. Tough ayin hay is not mistake. The person has not mistaken, the person has strayed. Where is the origin of the word? So the likely origin of this word ta'a, which basically sounds like a person straying, so it seems that the basic origin of this word could be traced back to an expression that is found in the book of Numbers, in Sefer Bamidbar. And it's talking about something we mentioned a few moments ago, about a sota, about a person who has behaved in an immodest fashion. We don't know if anything happened. We don't know. But something doesn't look right. This is a person, there wasn't a modest situation. So the Torah, when it introduces the situation, it says... You have a, a married couple and kisiste ishte. The, the woman, the wife, seems to be straying away from the marriage. Sister. You cannot say that it means sinned because we don't know. The whole premise of the idea of sota is we don't know if there was a sin. There was suggestive situations. Things didn't look right. And the story of the sota is the husband says to his wife, you know, you've been having lunch with the neighbor every Tuesday and I'm feeling really uncomfortable about this. I'll come home on Tuesdays, we'll have lunch. She says, no, 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 you stay at work. I like having lunch with the neighbor. You're going on these uh, long walks with a mailman. It's very strange. I would, I would like you to stop this. It, it feels very uncomfortable. She says, eh, don't be silly. It's a garnish to sell it. It's a friendship. It's platonic friendship. What, what's wrong with you? And, and he says to please, I'm uncomfortable with this. Sorry, I'm uncomfortable with this. We have to stop this. We have to be loyal to each other and stick with each other. And that's the end of the story. And he says to I don't want to see, we see you with this person anymore. And what happens? The witnesses see their closet alone. They say, what were you doing? Nothing. He said, playing backgammon. It was nothing. It was, a, it was a friendly game. But at this point, we have a problem because, because this is a couple that's having issues and, and, and seems to be straying outside the marriage. So the words are kisiste. That's the words the Torah uses. What does this mean, sister? So Rashi says, pshuto shal mikra. The simple meaning of the word sister is tate midarkeit sniut. A person has stepped away from discreet conduct, from modest conduct. This is immodest conduct. It's not appropriate. There's an appropriate way to behave and an inappropriate way to behave. The Maharal of Prague in his super commentary on Rashi's commentary called Gur Aryeh, he says like this. He says, the word sister is lashen natei, lashen It means to turn. To turn. And you know that every big mistake starts with 
a little turn. A little bit of inappropriateness. Just a little bit. There's a famous metaphor that's brought to a fellow came to the train station for the first time. You know, like in the last century or whatever, people didn't see it. First time you see a train and he sees these tracks. Dozens of tracks. And they're all going side by side. He says, I don't understand. All the different trains. People are getting on different trains. The tracks are all going the same direction. So a person said, yeah, but they're in the same direction. But they're a couple of feet apart. He says, no, a couple of feet apart? That's a, that's a different direction? He said, it starts a couple of feet apart. And it continues to widen. And they go in very different directions. So every time a person doesn't, if you will, toe the line, doesn't behave appropriately, just a slight deviation, slightly veers, a slight veering. You know, we have sometimes with our cars, the car is pulling in a certain direction. Ever happened to you? You don't drive chitty chitty bang bang, your car doesn't have its own. <laughs> it's called you need a wheel alignment. Sometimes the car starts pulling in a certain direction. So they have to calibrate things. So people sometimes they start to veer a little bit. Very few people wake up one morning and say, I am going to do the biggest Aveda I can possibly think of right now. I'm going to spite God and my, and, and my nation and I'm going to do it in the most public way. I'll make a chil Hashem like the world never saw. Do you think Bernie Madoff woke up one day and said, I am going to be the biggest Ganef that the world has ever known. I'm going to be the most famous thief. I'm going to rip off hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. I'm going to steal from everybody and anybody and then I'm going to get caught and I'm going to go down in a flame. And that's the way I want to live my life. Do you think that's what Bernie Madoff said? I don't know what he said, but I'm pretty sure that he was probably in the beginning a somewhat honest fellow and he was probably making some investments and it wasn't looking good and then all of a sudden he was in trouble and he had no choice. So he had to tell a story to this one and a story to that one and he took uh, Yankel's money and he paid Moshe and he said, look, he got a great return. And all of a sudden he got deeper and deeper into it and it became what's called a Ponzi scheme where one thing led to the next and all of a sudden he was telling so many lies. He had to remember which lies he's telling to who and then the whole thing spun out of control until it was really out of control and then he crashed. But it went for years. It's very unlikely that Bernie woke, woke up one morning and said, I would like to steal everybody's money right now. How does it start? It starts with small deviations. So a little bit off the path of, of, of integrity, a little bit off the path of honesty. In our example, a path of modesty. The Maharal says, Ve'im nefarish. If you will explain the word sister, Noitem and Haderach to walk off the path, to go away from the path. The path Shinitstava that we were commanded by God that the person goes and does a sin. So the Maharal says, why would the Torah use that term over here? Kisiste Ishto. What's the difference this and any other sin? A person does a sin, they transgress. And the answer is because this is such a subtle thing. It's such a it, it happens by surprise. Many years ago, I counseled a person who did terrible things like this and unfaithful in his marriage. And he cried to me and he said, I, I, I swear to you, I, I never wanted to be unfaithful. I never, I never wanted to do anything like this. I said, who forced you? He said, a little thing, a little thing, another little thing, a little, little things. Relationship is a dangerous thing. When it comes to Arroyas, when it comes to this kind of thing, it says, Eina Petrupis, nobody's above suspicion. And we have to be very careful because big things start with little things. So this is the word that Rabbeinu Yehuda Ibn Tibbin chose. I don't know what Arabic word 
Rabbeinu Bechaye used. But I have to assume that uh, Rabbi Ibn Tibbin's translation is faithful. By the way, he wasn't the first one to translate the Shara Betochen, the Cheves Halvavas. Somebody translated the Cheves Halvavas, and his was a failure. So the public embraced this. There's got to be something to it. So he says, once a person, once a person says, this is in God's control, and I, I want to just interrupt for a second. Do you know we do this all the time? Let's be honest with ourselves. How often do we say to God, eh, God will show me a sign. We know it's right. We know it's wrong. A little sign. I need God to show me a little sign. I need God to just, I'm relying on God. to get A little push in that direction. Once God gives me a sign, that's, I'm doing the right thing. We do this far more often than we realize or care to admit. And Rebbeinu Bechai is saying it's wrong. It's wrong. It's using, using betochen inappropriately. It's funny how we become very big believers all of a sudden when it comes to things like this. <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it enables us to have inactivity or enables us not to exert ourselves or not to put ourselves out, we suddenly are trusting in Hashem. Hashem knows what's best for us. When a person has a business opportunity, he doesn't say Hashem knows what's best. He pursues it because, hey, there's an opportunity. When the fun is waiting at the other end, he runs for the fun. When he has to get healing, he doesn't say, if God will show me a sign. He does whatever he could, because these things are important. When it comes to Yiddishkeit, we're looking for signs, we're looking for inspiration, we're looking for a wake-up call, we're, we're relying on God. And Rebbeinu Bechaya says that if you do this, until he chooses for me, God said you choose, and you're saying, you know what, God? You choose. I like you to choose. <laughs> I, I, I have so much uh, trust in you, I want you to choose for me. But that's not what God said. God said, you choose. You choose, he said. And the moment a person says, Sheyiv Charli, he will choose for me. The moment a person says that, Kvar To'o he has already taken a little bit of a turn. He hasn't gone off the path. He hasn't transgressed anything. He didn't do anything wrong. He just had an attitude. The person said, what's an attitude? What's wrong with an attitude? So I had a little too much betachen oh, in the wrong place. So what? Rabbeinu Bechaya tells you, you're making a very big mistake. Betochen is a high-stakes game. It's a sum-zero game. You cannot have betochen halfway. You have to have betochen fully and in the right place and in the right time and in the right method. Or else you have moved off the path. And he says, and then he uses another word. So, like I said, the Kiat edition translates it as slipped. In the art school version, he calls it stumbled. In this other uh, version, the one I made you copies of tonight, uh, Torah Classics, he says deviates. So he strays from the path and deviates from the right way. So with all due respect to, to, to this translation, I don't know the difference between strays and deviates. I don't know what that means. It's just like in English, we have a language which is made of many, many different languages. So you have six words to say the same thing. In Torah, there are no extra words and no extra phrases. So we have to know what the Rebbeinu Bechai is saying. We have to understand what he's trying to, he's trying to make a point to us. So we shouldn't gloss this over. So, okay, how are we going to figure it out? What is the meaning of Kvato Midarach I think we have cl- we clarified. What is he adding when he says Umoardu Raglov, that his feet are supposedly slipping? What does this mean? So, what I did find is, what I did find is that there is a 
comment by the Tov Halavonon, who says, take a look in the book of Shmuel Beis, it's one of the books of the Bible, in the 22nd chapter, verse 37. Okay? I'm not going to fight with the Tov Halavonon. He says to look there, I look there. And he says like this, this Pasuk in Shmuel, Shmuel is actually, um, the, the prophet here is talking to Hashem. You know, it reads, Tarchiv Tzadi Tachteni. Hashem should broaden or, or strengthen my steps, the steps I take. And my feet shouldn't stumble or falter. You never hear of like a, the Shlomazel tripped on his own feet? There's a difference between straying off the path and between slipping. It's interesting that the commentaries discuss what is karsulai, what does it even mean? Does it mean heels? Does it mean legs? Does, does it mean ankles? There's like a whole bunch of different opinions over here. But with regard to the idea ma'adu, the Mitsudas Tzian says, inyan hachloka. It means to slip. And hashmata min hamakim. It means to kind of to stumble off a place. So a person's got his footing and then he slips. You know, if, uh, unless a miracle happens, there's going to be ice on the floor soon around here. And you'd have to wear the proper footwear. Well, you have to have some salt. And if you don't, you might slip. And that could be a very uncomfortable situation. You can get hurt really badly. So when people slip, there's one thing is going off the path is one thing. That's actually a bit of a choice we make. And slipping is already when you're kind of, you lose your footing, you lose yourself. And one follows the other. The moment a person says, Yivcharli, let him choose for me. I'm waiting for my inspiration. I'm waiting for my sign. The moment he says that, the moment he thinks that, he has already strayed. He's not on the path. And Moadu Karsulai, he has slipped away from Ofan Hanachona. He has slipped away from what we would call the correct. And Ofan means away. He slipped away. This is not the right approach. He has slipped from the, the right approach. He had his grip on the approach. He slipped away from it. Now, interestingly, this, these two terms according to the commentary called Paslechem, he says like this. He says, we talked about the choice, the, the, the consciousness, the choice, like something grabs your attention, you, you decide to like, focus, you're like, this is a thing. And then, and then we talked about Lechaven, which means not just to, something grabs your attention, that you, you're, you're looking at it, but you're really zeroing in on it. Which we, in the previous episode, described as the realm of machshava, of consciousness, and the realm of dibur, of actively connecting to something, actively linking, like, almost like communication with something. So he says, one leads to the other. First of all, a person's mind, he has the wrong attitude. He's thinking, he's not thinking right. He's not thinking right, he's already straying. And then, when a person starts to engage in that fashion, it becomes more than simply a straying, it actually causes a person to slip and to trip. What do you think happens as a result of these things? What do you think happens as a result? People say, let God choose. What happens is people invariably follow with the wrong choice. 
and they follow with the wrong choice and they blame it on the signs. I got a sign. I, 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 the constellation lined up. Everything was too perfect. It had to be right. It, it couldn't be the wrong thing. <laughs> but the Torah says the wrong thing. Yeah, I know what the Torah says, but God, God arranged it for me. The moment a person says, God arranged it for me, when Hashem tells you clearly, I didn't arrange anything for you other than I arranged that you should be in a situation and you have to make the arrangements. You have to make the reservations. So if, if a person is not doing that, in the end, it will lead him. One will lead to the other. Straying leads to slipping and slipping leads to ending up on the floor to actually choosing the wrong thing. Why is this important? Is this important? The main thing is just do the right thing. So Ben just tells us, do the right thing. Why does he have to tell us about what you're thinking, what your attitude is? Because, my dear friends, it all begins with the wrong attitude. It all begins with the wrong perspective. If we don't have our heads screwed on straight, if we don't understand, have clarity what Hashem wants from us, then it's impossible for us to go ahead and do the right thing. Rabbeinu Bechai is taking it upon himself to clarify the concept of betochen. He says, you cannot misuse betochen. If you misuse betochen, if you rely on God when you're not supposed to rely on Him, then you are leading yourself down a garden path. It can't end well. Because that's how powerful betochen is. It's, it's actually important for us to have the right attitude to things. To have the right idea. The proper grasp and understanding. How do you know? How do you know? He says, because Because God already told you to choose. So which part of thou shalt not did you not understand? God didn't say, do the right thing if I show you a sign. Don't do the wrong thing unless, unless everything lines up. He said, I'm going to give you the right thing and the wrong thing and you have to choose the right thing. You have to make the choice. You have to make the choice means you have to make the choice. Not God making the choice. And it's not possible for God to tell us, you make the choice, but he didn't really mean it. He said we, he said we should make the choice, but he, you know, he kind of said that. But really, he wanted us to make the choice. I mean, him to make the choice and us to rely on him. That we should say, leave it in God's hands. This is a, a contradiction of what Hashem told us to do. God said, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be simple. How does the, the Rebbe responded to somebody once who was having a particular set of circumstances, very difficult circumstances, and he, he complained to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe wrote him back, Since when do you have a contract with God that everything has to be charmed? Says who? What do you mean? My neighbor has a charmed life. First of all, who says your neighbor has a charmed life? Secondly, maybe they do. But why don't I have a charmed life? I, I, I can't answer that question. Can anybody have this uh, expectation? What do they call it today? Entitlement? I'm, in, I'm entitled to an easy life. I'm entitled to a nice life. I'm entitled to everything working out and all of my efforts being appreciated and rewarded. I'm, I'm entitled to that. Says who? We can pray, we can hope, but we cannot use it to justify inaction. You can hope for the nice life, 
and Hashem should give us all, all the things we want. But inaction is not an option. And we have a responsibility to focus on it and to make an effort and to make the decision, and he says, wholeheartedly. How many times do people say, I made the effort? So you really made the effort? Well, a half-hearted effort. You know, in, in this country, if you want to bring in a foreign worker, you have to demonstrate that you try to hire somebody local first. This whole industry, the nanny industry, where they're bringing in a woman from the Philippines, other places, right? So they say, how do you have to do it? What's the law? The law is you have to see if there's, a, if there's somebody local, Canadian citizen wants to do the job. So what do you do? This is an agency. They have the whole thing figured out. They know how to work the system. They put a one-liner ad somewhere in the back of the newspaper that nobody reads. <laughs> they do it three times. Then you have to take a clipping and you show, you see, I put an ad. Put an ad, nobody responds to the ad. Nobody responds to any of those ads unless you offer to be giving out $100, $300 bills. Then everybody will respond to the ad. But if you're not offering to give something, you put a little ad. See, I made the effort. You made the effort. Come on, seriously, you really made an effort? No, I didn't really make an effort, but <laughs> I went through the motions. So how many times in our Yiddishkeit we say, I made the effort, I tried. I did, I, I did my part. Did we really do our part? By the way, only you know the answer to that question. And of course, God knows the answer. Nobody else knows the answer. It says, Yedeya tzadik nefesh behemte. You know your own animal. You know the truth, whether or not you made your best effort, whether this was wholehearted or you made a half-hearted effort. And guess what? If it's a half-hearted effort, it doesn't work. That's not what Hashem asked of you. The Rebbeinu Shalom asked of you to do believe Sholem Lishmeh Yonu, And not only that, but He also let us know Shehu Ofnei Hanachoyin Olonu. Not only He told us to make the right effort, He told us what is good for us. He gave us all the information. But there's one thing He doesn't do for us. And that is to make the choice. Last week, we talked about the words of Rashi on the commentary of this idea, Rashi says, he gives a metaphor. There's a person who is showing his child which field to choose. It's an inheritance. He's, he's dividing up his properties. He shows him. God says, I'm showing you the good field. I'm showing you to choose life. Choose a good portion. Choose a good portion. And not only that, He places him right in front of the good portion. And he says to him, Choose this. Choose this. He says, I put your hand on a good, a good fortune. Now take it. So what doesn't he do for us? He doesn't choose for us. What else doesn't he do for us? He doesn't take it for us. He says, you take it. You choose it. He brings us there. But as they say, you can bring a horse to the water. You can't drink for him. You have to choose to, make the, to take the drink. And this is really the idea of what we call avodah. This is the concept that we call effort. Rabbeinu Bachai never once used the word mitzvah. He's used the word mitzvah many times in the book. Never once here did he use the term in which he said mitzvah. 
Here in this conversation, it's always about Avoida. I want to share with you a couple of things about Avoida, about, about strenuous efforts. So there's a, v- a very interesting uh, statement which is made in the book, which is called Hayom Yom. They have made a calendar. A different, different aphorism for every day. If you, if you go through the year with a little aphorism every day, a picture emerges. During the course of the year, you get a picture of what is Chabad Hasidus about. So there's this statement that's made and that's found in the aphorism for the 29th day of, of Menachem Av. It goes like this. What has to be is avoida efforts made by your own efforts, your own thing. Hecher is as It's loftier and higher. It's a higher, superior kind of service if they hold you by the hand and they take you. Tayere, but more precious, is this bekoyach atzmai. It's more precious when it's your effort. And I'm answering your question, Mark, about Hashem picking your hand up, taking you along. Wouldn't we be better served if God would inspire us, lift us up, lead us by the hand? The answer would be yes. What would be a more precious form of avoida? What's a more meaningful form of serving Hashem? The answer is, when we do it by ourselves. In other words, you should know that this was a major dispute amongst the early Hasidic masters. The Talmidim of the Magid were divided as to what is expected of a common Hasid. Should the common Hasid put himself in the Rebbe's hands and the Rebbe will lift him up and inspire him and the Rebbe carries him by the force of his spiritual charisma? Or is at best... The Rebbe's job to guide and to enable the chassidim that they themselves should work hard and they themselves should toil and they should affect interchange on their own. So the truth is that there are two different approaches. And so we say, indeed, it's lofty or superior if you're led by the hand. It's more precious if you do it by yourself. So ultimately, what should we be trying to do? You should try to do it by yourself. Do you know sometimes a child needs help with his or her homework? And, you know, you're busy and the kid is making you sugar. What's the easiest thing to do? Help Give the kid the answer. Give him the answer. Help him out. Put the pieces together for him. It's easy for the kid. It's easy for you. What's the hard thing to do? Our thing is to motivate the child to work on their own until they figure it out. What is the good teacher? What does the good parent do? What's called good parenting? When you enable your child to work it out themselves. When you make them responsible. The kid doesn't like it. The kid is quetching and grumbling. Why? My, my friend's parents just do his homework for him. They just write his book reports for him. Why can't my dad write his book reports for him? Tell me, who learns how to write later on? Who is better served? Which child has a better so to speak, advantage. The child whose parents did everything for him or the child whose parents forced him that the child themselves should learn how to do it. Obviously the latter. Which Avedis Hashem is more effective? This was a big dispute. A big dispute. There's a fascinating talk of the Friedrich Rebbe. This is found in Lakuta de Burim. It's in, the, it's in volume one on page 141, 142. And he, and he says that... Uh, when the Magid 
the Magad of Mizrich passed on, so the disciples of the Magad got together and they divided up Europe. They said each disciple would take on a different province. And his job would be to promulgate the teachings of Hasidus over there. So the Alter Rebbe got a very challenging area. He got White Russia, Lithuania, really the really like a high intelligent, hard nuts to crack. That was the Alter Rebbe's uh, Valin Gurbenya, as they call it. Now it happens that there was a, a big tzaddik, a disciple of the Magad, and his name was Ibshleim Kaliner. And this Ibshleim Kaliner, he used to visit some of the towns in the area that the Alter Rebbe was supposed to be responsible for. The towns were called Beshenkovitz, Chasniks. This, this towns where he would he. So he asked Alter Rebbe, he'd like to settle uh, in the same neighborhood. He says, I'll open a shul uh, a few blocks away. So the Alter Rebbe said, no problem. But I have three conditions. Three conditions, he says. He says, condition number one, I don't want you to disparage scholars for their scholarship. Encourage them. Make them more Hasidic. Don't, 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 don't do away with, with people's uh, scholastic achievements. Condition number two, he said, if somebody is naturally inclined to be serving Hashem, don't say, ah, that's worthless. You have to toil for it. You have to work for it. Natural, and you have to be nurture, not nature. And the third condition, he says that you have to teach your Hasidim to serve Hashem on their own. It has to be their effort. If Shlema Kaliner agreed to the first two, and he said, nothing doing. He says, no, I can't. What, what, they're a bunch of clowns, he says. These are peons. They're not going to be able to really uh, do what they have to do. And he used to say, Reb Shleim Kalini used to say on the Pasuk, Val Tishon, don't rely on your own intelligence. He said, a tzaddik could take a person and he can elevate him. He can put him in a different place. And that's much better. And the Alter Rebbe said, no, that's not, that's not what I believe Hashem really wants. Real avodat Hashem is that the person has to make it happen by themselves. It's like you have a teacher who as long as the teacher's in the room and as long as the teacher's inspiring the students and engaging the students, the students are all studying and learning. But it's all because of the charisma of the teacher. When the teacher leaves the room, nobody's studying. And you have another teacher who instead of dazzling the students is working with the students to make them inquisitive and to make them interested in learning. And then when that teacher leaves the room, what are the students still doing? They're still continuing to learn. This is what we're talking about. Rabbeinu Bechaya, he's a Chabad, uh, this is the origin of Chabad. He says, that's the choice you're supposed to make. A person shouldn't say, Rabbeinu Shalalem, take care of this for me. You make it happen. That's actually the effort. And here, it gets even more interesting. It's more interesting. There's another Hayom Yom, and this Hayom Yom says like this. The Tzemach Tzedek, the third Rebbe used to say, a Pnimi, you know what the word pnimi means? It comes from the Hebrew word pnim, lifnim, like inside. person who's, it's like an inward. In, in, in Chabad vernacular, it's the, it's the greatest compliment to say a person's a pnimi. A chitzen is a person who just, you know, it's like goes along with the flow. Does things in a superficial way. A pnimi is a person who's seriously invested, is a, found, a grounded person, a serious person, takes, him, takes life seriously. Tzemach said a pnimi. You know what a pnimi is? 
Going to a tzaddik and say, give me a bracha that I should daven better. Give me a bracha that I should serve Hashem better. This is al yishu b'divrei hevel. These are like the words that the Pharaoh said when the Moshe Rabbeinu came and said to the people, we're going to go free. So they came to the Pharaoh, they said, we want to go free. And the Pharaoh said, what? Who's telling you these crazy ideas? What kind of free? A bunch of slaves. And they said, not us, it's him, it's Moses. And the Pharaoh gave the people a tremendous addition in their workload. And he says, now you'll learn how not to ask. You won't listen to these false prophets like Moses who come and tell you Baba Mises. You'll know you have to sit and work. This is a play. The Pharaoh said, make them work even harder. They're not working hard enough. That's the problem. That's why they get these, these crazy ideas of, of freedom and, and, and serving God. They have to work harder. So here, the Tzermach Tzedek says that a person is not supposed to say, God, make it easy for me. Open my heart. Open my mind. You know, lift me up. Get me engaged. Get me involved. A Pnimi says, I will open my own heart. I will uplift myself. I will toil and work at this until I succeed. So somebody once wrote a letter to the Rebbe, like, like, come on, he says, like, this is like very intense. He said, what's wrong with asking God for a blessing? What's, I mean, a Rebbe, a tzaddik for a blessing, that God should help, that the person should have a little bit of an easier time. So the Rebbe responded, this is found in the ninth uh, volume of Igris Kedush. The Rebbe says that if you look at the language used in Hayom Yom, it's a beloshen, bracha al avoida. If a person asks a bracha, that his efforts should be successful. Success is not in our hands. That's beyond my control. I ask a bracha that when I give a sermon, it should uplift the people. I should be successful. But that is not in my hands. First of all, it's in the hands of the people who have to choose to stay awake. And then they have to choose if they want to be inspired or not. I could ask a bracha. Success you can ask a bracha for. The Rebbe said, it doesn't say to ask a bracha for success. It says to ask a bracha for avoida. What does avoida mean? Avoida means the toil, the effort to serve Hashem. You don't ask a bracha for effort, you expend effort. You work at it. That's what you're supposed to do. To ask a tzaddik a bracha for that's ridiculous. He said, if somebody has a battle with his Yetzirah, knock down your Yetzirah. It's impossible that God doesn't give a person a, a, give a person a Yetzirah without giving him the strength to overcome the Yetzirah. Every time we have a bad desire, we have to have the strength to be able to overcome it. Otherwise, God wouldn't give it to us. It's not possible. Yeah, Mark. What's beyond our control, we could ask blessings for. To ask Hashem to have wisdom that's not in my control. That's not my Aveda. To be wise about something, I need a bracha that I should be wise about it. And if we should find favor in people's eyes, we ask in a brachat tov. We should find grace, find charisma, and we should, find, we should have good, good sense, good, good sense of blessing. When somebody makes a foolish decision, is that, is that, a, is that, a, is that, a, is that a sin? It's not a sin. They made a mistake. A person could ask a bracha, he shouldn't make a mistake. A person should not be asking for a bracha that when I have a hard decision to make, you make the decision for me. Or take away the difficulty. It should be easy. The emphasis is on the word avoida. What's beyond my control, I ask for blessings all day, I rely on God. It's beyond my control. 
when it's in my control, to rely on God for the things that you're supposed to rely on yourself is a tragic mistake. And it leads a person astray. Here's an excerpt, a sikha, Mark, which I, I think will, will, will help you. Uh, this is an edited sikha from the Rebbe, a Parsha Shoftim, which was uh, the beginning of the month of El of, that, of the year. The year is 1987. 88, pardon me. The Rebbe said that when a yid is mekayim ala mitzvahs, in velcha eres mechuyiv, a person does all the mitzvahs. Imagine such a thing. Nobody, uh, no, no, nobody I know, maybe, I mean, not me certainly, but a person does all the mitzvahs. He does all, not only the biblical mitzvahs, all the rabbinic mitzvahs. And he does all the rules and all the laws and all the customs. He's doing everything. He follows all the instructions. The Rebbe said, the reality is, there is an enormous volume of things during the course of a day there are so many decisions we have to make all day long and there isn't a black and white answer for it. Most of our day is not black and white. Most of our day is gray. I mean sunny, but it, it's not clear. How many people have perfect clarity all the time? How many people have situations? Oh, you don't know what to do? Look, that's uh, chapter 32 in Shulchan Aruch. I looked in chapter 32, it doesn't say anything like that. I looked in the whole Shulchan Aruch, it doesn't say anything about the situation. And the Rebbe said further, Befrat as a choshever tell their phones and an inyonim, vimezol zich einkeren mit dem eigenem yetzer. Many of these things are not how we treat somebody else, but how we deal with our own evil inclination. We all have tests, we have nisyonis. We go every day we have tests. We are tested every single day. And the Rebbe said something fascinating. Darf minit on A person shouldn't become filled with fear and anxiety. A person will stay like in a straitjacket, afraid to move. The next thing I do, I do something wrong. I'll only do exactly what I'm told. This is a big mistake. And the Rebbe said that this is where Avoida kicks in. That Ike von Avoida is Alzheimer, Avoida Bekoyach Atzmei. A lot of things, my friends, we need to figure out by ourselves. A lot of things you need to figure out. And you're allowed to ask Hashem for wisdom and help to see things clearly. But after we have clarity, is it always easy to do the right thing? How many times in life do you know what's the right thing to do? And that's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> looking for the inner conviction, looking for the inner strength. So how are you going to figure it out? The answer is there are rules and there are principles. We have to figure out how to take the Torah we learn and apply it to everyday life. And it's not black and white. And you have to have a mentor and you have to have good friends and you have to think things over. One of the beautiful lessons of what's a kosher animal and what's not, the kosher animal chews things over. Who says you always have to respond? Who says you always have to react? There's no shame in saying, I'm not sure. I don't know. I need to think about this. If it's really important, you're going to think about it twice. Sometimes we have no choice. We have to make a decision. That's when you pray, Hashem should give you koyach. And this is really what life's about. 
Life is not about the black and white easy situations. Life's about the challenging, difficult circumstances that present themselves on a regular basis, and we need to figure it out. All right, don't be demoralized. The Rebbeinu Bechayev finishes on a real high here, my friends. You know what he tells us? He says, when all is said and done, this is what's good for us. If we succeed at this, we will benefit. And he says, It's good for you in this world, and it's good for you in the other world. A life of Yiddishkeit is a good life. It's a good life. It's good here, it's good there. Where does he get that from? <laughs> As he's so sure, it's good here and it's good there. So, a very interesting. I saw some of the commentaries say, take a look in, in uh, Chumash Devarim. You go to Deuteronomy, go back to chapter 6. And over there, it also speaks about choices. In verse 24 it says, God told us all these things to do. Letov lanu. So it'll be good for us. Kol hayamim. All the days. All the days. L'chayaseinu kayem So we might live as we live today. And the Chizkuni says this. He says, Kayom What does it mean like this day? He says that we talk about the yamim to inherit all days is chaye olam haba. God speaks about this world, says the Chizkuni. God speaks about the next world. And the Mar Nevuchim says something very similar. The Mar Nevuchim in the third section, he says that mitzvahs enable you to engineer things on two levels. Your bodily, material reality and your spiritual reality. And we are responsible for tikkun ha-nefesh and tikkun ha-guf. We are responsible for both. We're responsible to take care of ourselves. We are not given anything on a silver platter. We have to work for it. And if we work for it, we'll succeed. And the, uh, the Rambam says that you should know when a person stays away from dishonesty, lack of integrity, fighting with people for no reason, and instead he's refined, respectful, caring, sensitive. He says, who do you think benefits? We all benefit. When you live like a mensch, you treat people like a mensch, they treat you back like a mensch, it makes for a better society. It makes for, he says, He said it enables society to function. A Torah society is a good society. And he says, besides the fact that it fixes your bodily material reality, he said when a person has the right attitude and the right perspective, then this enables a person also to fix their consciousness and ultimately the neshama. And he says, this is the meaning of letoiv lanu. Letoiv lanu, he says, the Gemara tells us that leman yitavloch, it'll be good for you. Vaharachta yomim. And the Gemara asks a question that there was a person who did this mitzvah and not only he didn't live long, he died on the spot. How could it be? And the Gemara's response is, leolam shekuli aruch, for a life that is long for eternity. The Chizkuni says, this is the answer to people who say, how come Judaism speaks about reward? How come we don't speak about heaven? Only time the Torah speaks about material goodness. And the Chizkuni says, this is because God wants the Torah to be understood by everybody. And a lot of people don't understand heaven. Heaven doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't inspire them. Is it going to have a good in the other world? They say, how about this world? This world everybody understands. So the Torah talks to us in simple terminology. The bottom line, I'm just demonstrating to you, this is not Rabbeinu Chaya's 
own idea or it's not, he's not the sole one to say this. In the end, when we make the effort and we make the right choice, it is good for us. Yiddishkeit is good for us. Making the right choice is good for us. Doing the right thing is good for us. It's good for us in this world and it's good for us in the other world. And in the next episode, we're going to deal with truth and consequence and talk about reward. Do you get rewarded for the effort or do you get rewarded for the end result? What if I made the efforts but the mitzvah didn't happen? What if I tried to sin but I was prevented? Will I be punished or rewarded? How does that fit into everything we've learned today and at what point does Betochen enter that conversation? For this, Amir Tzashem, you'll uh, have to join us for the 108th episode. Thank you very much for joining this evening, everybody. It's wonderful to have you all in person. Thank you all for joining online. Hashem should help us. We should have the right attitude, the right approach, and be ready to roll our sleeves up and do the hard work because that's good for us. And it makes our world good, and it hastens the coming of Mashiach. May it be b'mheira, will be amen speedily. And in our days, amen.